Hello everyone, thank you for listening to today's message. My name is Pastor Dwayne Life, lead pastor at the Life Point Community Church. What you're going to hear today is a message from one of our recent services. And we believe that by listening to today's message, you're going to be blessed and encouraged from the Word of God. You're going to be strengthened. And we believe that God's going to speak to you in a very fresh, new, and real way through today's message. So thanks again for listening. Be blessed and encouraged. And we love you. God bless. Hey, uh, I, w- I want to just give you a little bit of, uh, l- little bit of history on, on what today's all about. Um, I, I go away every, every year and put our sermon calendar together. Um, and I always come back with, a, you know, two or three blank days. You know, I usually come back with about 46 of the 52 weeks covered. And, uh, and today was a blank day. Today was one of those days where I, I, it was just, I didn't know. And now it's Thursday. And I'm like, I'm, I'm explaining to God what he already knows. Um, God, uh, Sunday's coming. And there's going to be people that show up wanting me to say something. It'd really be nice if I had something to say. Um, and, and I just began to talk to the Lord. And, and y'all, listen, I don't, I don't say things like this a lot, but this, this is absolutely the gospel truth. It, it was like I was taking dictation. Um, it, it takes me hours to write a sermon. I wrote this one in about 25 minutes. Like I was taking dictation. And, and can I tell you what that tells me? Is that you're here and you need this message. I, I need this message. As, as we came out of 40 days of worship, we got... The most feedback of any of the six weeks from last week when worship is hard. You know what that tells me? That sometimes life happens. And sometimes, you know, it's easy to come in here and, and sing the song. Somebody said it this way. It's, it's always something. Do you, do you find that to be true? That it's just always something that... There's always going to be that bump in the road that it really is always something. And the truth of the matter is, you can't control that. Any other control freaks in the house, please, somebody. You can't control that. You can't control the something. Some of y'all should have raised your hands that didn't. That's all I'm going to say. You can't control the something. You can't control the flat tire. You can't control the diagnosis. You can't control the unexpected. But you can't control the something. I am going to tell you that you can control your response to the something. So what I want to talk to you about today is how do we live that overcoming life to where the something doesn't completely derail our lives to where the something doesn't completely shatter our faith it doesn't shatter our plan it doesn't shatter what we're trying to do with our lives because the something's coming and those of you that have been alive as long as me or maybe some of you a little bit more will tell you that something's coming now that doesn't mean it's always bad right how many know we that that good times come and sometimes not so good times come We're going to talk today about the overcoming life. 
And, and aren't you glad to know I'm a child of God? Yes, I am. Turn to somebody and say, I'm a child of God. Turn to your second choice and say, yes, I am. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, very familiar passage of scripture for some of you. Some of you never heard it before, and that's okay. I, I love this passage of scripture. I want, you to, I want you to read it along with me. I'll read it out loud. It's on the screen behind me. It's in your bulletin. Romans chapter 8 says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? That's a question, by the way. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? The answer is no. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. I'm just wondering, anybody ever felt like that? See, I, I read it. I try to... Anybody try to read between the lines? That's what I do with this. I, here's what I hear Paul saying to me and you 2,000 years later. Sometimes Monday rolls into Tuesday, rolls into Wednesday, rolls into Thursday, Friday, and it just, it, and, and the garbage heap just gets higher and higher each day. Now listen, I know every week's not like that, but some weeks are, aren't they? What do we do in those weeks? Does it mean God doesn't love us when Monday rolls into Tuesday, rolls into Wednesday, and there's trouble and persecution and, and, and disease and struggle? Does it mean that God no longer loves us? And then he answers the question. He says, no. That's not what it means. Despite all these things. What things? The something. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. If you would happen to read that in the King James Version, it says we are made more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now that sounds good, but how do we live it? How do we live that kind of life? How can we say, oh, by the way, when, when Paul's writing this letter, he's likely in prison. Does it mean when I'm in prison, when it means I've been shipwrecked, we read a bunch of stuff last week about all the stuff that he went through when I've been shipwrecked, when I've been snake bit, when people are trying to kill me, does it mean that God doesn't love me? No. Now, now, now fast forward that to our situation. When my mortgage is late. When I've rolled out of one sickness into another sickness, when I'm having to struggle with my relationships at home, when, I, when my, my boss wants the best of me and does it mean that God doesn't love me? Does it mean that his plan for me is invalid? Does it mean that, that things aren't working the way he's called them to work, even in the midst of trouble? No, that's not what it means. But it does mean you can live in victory above those things. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. So I'm going to give you four or five little things that I want you to, to, uh, to apply to your life. Man, this is not one of those messages that I want you to pat me on my back and say, man, that was good. I want you to... I want you to take this home with you because something's coming. Now, I don't, I'm not trying to be a prophet of doom, but something's coming. You're going to have a flat tire. You're going to have a bad day. You're going to have stuff that happens in your life that you don't see. How do we live our life in the midst of that stuff? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Here's the first thing you're going to do. Write this down. Set your gaze. 
My good friend Kelly Johnson helped us with the um, curriculum, the small group curriculum for 40 days of worship. And she had this illustration. So you might have heard this either from Don or myself this past Wednesday night. But it's just, it's just so good. Now, I'm not a person who participates greatly in the ballet. <laughs> but I have seen it a time or two. In fact, I was in a class two semesters ago that I had to watch a two and a half hour ballet, longest two and a half hours of my life. I'm not going to lie. But there's this, there's this move that a ballerina will do. It's called a pirouette. And, it, and, and you might have seen it. She's got one leg kind of over this way. I'm not going to try. Don't worry. And she's, she's up on one toe and she's spinning just fast. You, you know what I'm talking about? Just spinning. And I'm Maybe you watch that and you think, well, how in the world does she keep her balance? How does she keep her equilibrium? How does she keep from just, just falling in a massive heap? Well, they teach ballerinas to, to stare straight ahead and find an object that is fixed and unmoving. And to fix their gaze on that object. And if you'll watch them, what will happen is... They'll, they'll hold that gaze as long as they can and then whip their head back around and find it right away. Over and over and over. I was trying to find a video of that, but they were all so awkward I decided not to do it. But in every one, there's one, that, a 13-year-old girl did it 52 times. And every time she whipped her head around and you can tell she was focusing on the same object that was unmoving and fixed. And what I'm going to tell you is that you and I have to do the same thing. In the midst of the something, you've got to focus your eyes on something that is unmoving and unchanging and solid and fixed. And that something is a someone and he has a name and his name is Jesus. And I'm going to tell you that in the midst of your something, if you'll focus your mind, you'll focus your eyes, you'll focus your energy and attention on that Someone who cannot move. The Bible says it this way. Let your eyes, this is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Can I tell you why that's so important? Because you steer where you stare. You steer where you stare. I saw an incredible video of, of this illustrated in, in a hilarious way. There's an engineer that made a backwards bicycle. Not that you face backwards, but when you turn the handlebars left, the bicycle goes right. And when you turn the handlebars right, the bicycle goes left. And on a, on a college stage, in an auditorium, in a university, he challenged people, if you could ride it 10 feet, I'll give you $200. Nobody could ride that bicycle 10 feet. Do you know why? Because your mind doesn't work that way. When your mind thinks, it, your, your mind can't process, I'm steering this way, but going that way. Your mind can't process, I'm steering this way, but going that way. Because you steer where you stare. And I'm going to tell you, not only can your mind not process that, that's how your life works. What you focus on is where you're headed. What you focus on is the direction that you're taking with your life. Somebody told me 
that you are the average of your five closest friends. And I'm like, I got to get some new friends. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, the Bible teaches us how we fix our gaze. And it has everything to do with your thought life. See, I, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell us that one of our greatest enemies is what happens in our mind. One of our greatest enemies is what happens in our thought life. And, and Paul addressed this in Philippians chapter 4. Listen to what he said. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is any worth, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So I wonder if, if that passage works in the negative just like it works in the positive, and I think so. See, I, I think if, if we're supposed to think about whatever is true, then we probably shouldn't think about a lie. And, and the most powerful one of those is the last one, where he says, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on that thing. And I'm going to tell you that if, if you've got things in your mind that you can't praise God for, you're thinking on the wrong thing. If you're thinking about, I'm, I'm not going to make it tomorrow at work, you're thinking about the wrong thing. If you're thinking about the sin that you're going to commit tomorrow and you know it's, walking, it's coming, you're thinking about the wrong thing. Here's what i got to do. i got to change my thinking. I've got to change what I, what I dwell on. Now listen, you guys know I'm not one of these guys that, that's going to tell you that whatever you think in your head is all of a sudden going to happen and then we you know, name it, claim it. Oh, I, don't, I don't do that. But I'm going to tell you that a lot of your battles, a lot of my battles happen between our ears. So what if, what if we change the, the things we allow our minds to dwell on? Instead of, I just don't think I can make it tomorrow at work. I just don't think, I, I don't see how I'm going to pay my mortgage. I don't see how my, my kids just, I, I, I just, I, I don't know how to help him. I, I don't, all of these I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do with this diagnosis. I'm not going to, I don't know what I'm going to do with my car that's breaking down. That I, and listen, I know we've got to handle stuff, but man, can we get out of this mindset that we, we dwell on, on the negative stuff of life and start turning that thing around? And, and, and maybe it looks like this. I'm not looking forward to tomorrow, but I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. And he loves me. And he's walking with me. And he lives inside of me. And I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So I'm going to make it tomorrow. What if we turn the way we, th what if we start, what if we learn our Bibles enough to replace the nonsense in our head with God's truth? Let me tell you why. Listen to me. You're stronger than you think you are. We've convinced ourselves that we're no match for the enemy. We've convinced ourselves that we're no match for the something We've convinced ourselves that we're no match for the problems of life and all the stuff that goes with it. You're stronger than you think you are. How can you say that, Dwayne? Let me say it like this. If you're bought with a price and the Spirit of God dwells within you,
There's nothing you can't do. Dwayne, I feel, I feel weak. Get in line. And there's this, there's this beautiful passage in, in, the, in 2 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the, New, of the New Testament is like, has a thorn in his flesh. And we don't know what it is. Uh, people who are Bible scholars have tried to determine what this thorn in his side was. Some people say it was a it was a physical ailment. We know that he had vision issues. Maybe it was that. I don't know. Maybe it was. I, we don't know. But here's what we do know. That Paul begged God three times. To take it away. God, I'm, I, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm writing your book. I'm, I'm doing your work. I'm going on all these missionary journeys. I'm winning people to Jesus. I'm starting churches. Please take this away. Three times. Please, please, please take it away. And God said no. Why, why would he do that? Why would he, why would he cause this giant of the faith to endure something that was obviously so uncomfortable that he begged God to take it away and God said no. Because God was teaching him something that's, that he could have never taught him had he just waved his holy wand and said, okay, your side doesn't hurt anymore. Now listen, God does that sometimes. Listen, how many of you have ever been miraculously healed? I believe God still does that. Yes, he does. But how many of you ever prayed for God to heal you and he didn't? Why? God, why would you do that? He answers that question for us. Now listen, how many times did I tell you that he prayed and asked God? How many times? Three times. Here's what the Bible says. Each time, now we just read it one time, but every time he prayed, here's what God told him. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. King James says, my grace is sufficient. My prayer works best in weakness. Now Paul says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and, the, and in the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What a paradox. How can that even be that I'm... I'm weak and I'm strong. I'm weak and I'm strong because when I follow Jesus and I look to him as the author and the finisher of my whole life, when I recognize my weakness, not only do I recognize that I boast in my weaknesses, here's what happens. I lean into the never-changing, ever-loving, all-powerful arms of Christ. And in his grip, I am strong. There is nothing that can come against me that doesn't flow through his fingers. And I, now listen, that doesn't mean it's always comfortable. That doesn't mean it's always easy. That doesn't mean it's always a, a, a bed of roses. Doesn't mean that's always my toes in the sand. But it does mean this, that if I'm walking through it, there's purpose behind it. And God knows what he's doing. The steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. And if I'm in the middle of it, then I'm supposed to be here. And even in my weakness, I can lean into his strength knowing that his grace is enough. Oh. There was this 
One particular day, backing out of my driveway, I was mad at God because God wasn't behaving like I thought he needed to. Don't laugh at me. You do the same thing. I backed out of that driveway and I was fussing and moaning and griping. I had a, had a Job moment. Now, we, if you're unfamiliar with the book of Job, you, you, sh you should read it. It's, it's hard read. There's this point in the back of the book of Job where Job says, is doing what Dwayne was doing when I was backing out of my driveway. I was mad. I was fussing, griping, whining. Y'all know what that looks like? Just me. Oh, okay. I'm the only one, right? Okay, it's just me. And, th and I got the same thing Job got. Job was like, God, what are you, what are you doing? I, I've lost everything. And, and God answers him like this. Where were you when I created the world? Where were you when I told the sea to stop right here? Where were you when from the foundations of the world I created all that there is? And here's what I understood him to say. You know, that sounds mean, but here's what God was teaching me is I know what I'm doing. Here's what I'm learning. That in the midst of this stuff, I'm, God knows what he's doing and I can lean into his strength. But here's what we do. We've convinced ourselves that we can't. We've convinced ourselves that we're weak we're convinced ourselves that this something that we're walking through is bigger than we are. And I'm going to tell you to stop saying I can't. In Jesus' name, stop saying I can't. Stop saying I can't make it through another day. I can't make it through another month. I can't, I, I, I can't get through this season. I can't get through this diagnosis. I can't get through this depression. I can't get through this anxiety. Stop saying you can't. Stop it. I'm not going to tell you it's easy. I'm not going to tell you that there won't be difficulties. I am telling you that you can. And as a child of God, stop saying I can't. Last week I told you, or a week before that, I told you that worship was a declaration of the goodness and majesty and sovereignty of Almighty God. Let me tell you what, the, what those two words I can't are. Their declaration of God's inability to fulfill his covenant promise to you. When you say, I can't, you know what you're saying? God, you can't. Stop it. In fact, here's what I want to do. We're going to have a little exercise. Hold somebody's hand. Hold somebody's hand. You come up here, hold my hand. <clears throat> I knew I'd work that in sooner or later. Hold somebody's hand. Now listen, how many know that church don't stop when we leave these doors? There's going to come a point when this person whose hand you're holding is going to go through a something. And in a moment of weakness, they may say, I can't. Because they're holding your hand, you've got permission to say, stop it. Yes, you can. Can we try it? Say, I can't. Stop it in Jesus' name. Yes, you can. Oh, say, okay, say it to me. Stop it in Jesus' name. Yes, you can. You got to say, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. <laughs> now, this, that's funny, and you're laughing, and you're giggling, but I'm going to tell you, 
next, tomorrow, next week, next month, somebody's going to call you on the phone and go, I just can't. Stop it. Yes, you can. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Stop it. Stop it in Jesus' name. <laughs> Has the enemy convinced you that you're no match for your circumstance? Stop it. Yes, you can. I can't handle Yes, you can. Somebody said that God would never put more on you than you can handle. But yes, he will. But can I tell you what he'll never do? He'll never put something. Man, please, somebody get this. He'll never put something on you that he can't handle. So quit telling God what he's incapable of doing. I mean, y'all know I'm serious when I cross my arms like this. <laughs> Quit telling God what he's incapable of doing. Quit telling him what his child can't do. Think about it this way. What if your 10-year-old child, after you told them to go clean their room, said, I can't? Yes, you can. Not only can you, but you are. Don't you think God does that to us every I can't make it. Yes, you can. Get your butt back to work. I don't think God says butt, but I did. Look at somebody say, yes, you can. Hey, that's, that's not a motivational speech. That's us hanging on the promise of God that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. All right, write this down. You are not alone. And I'm probably not going here where you think I'm going. See, Jesus did two things when he left the earth. It's he, he looked at us and, and made a promise to us that he would be with us forever. And he sent the precious Holy Spirit to indwell us in our hearts, to walk with us and talk with us everywhere we go, to lead and guide and direct us and counsel us and give us wisdom and guidance. So in that regard, absolutely, you are not alone. Do you believe that, by the way? Do you believe that he walks with you and talks with you and goes everywhere with you and he lives inside of you and counsels you and speaks to your heart? Do you believe that, by the way? That's not what I'm talking about. See, he did something else when he left the earth. See, he told those that were closest to him to go into all the world and make disciples. He instituted the church. I'm going to tell you what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be that place when I'm struggling, when I'm in the middle of my something, that somebody can hold my hands up when I can't hold them up on my own. You know why I, 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 I spit and snot about the importance of community and the importance of worshiping together? It's because Jesus instituted this deal. Because he knew we needed each other. He knew I needed somebody that could pray for me when I couldn't pray for myself. He knew I needed somebody to give me wise, biblical, godly advice and then keep their mouth shut. That's a whole nother sermon. I've had people say to me, I don't need the church to get to heaven. Stop it. Listen, I need the church to get to Tuesday. I, I need people who love me 
who are gathering around me, who believe in me, who pray for me. I need you. You need me. I'm not going to re-preach week three. I'm just going to tell you, you need the church. You need to be around people who believe in you, who love you, and who can pray for you, can give you good, godly, wise counsel. And can I tell you, when you're in the middle of that something, you don't have to go through it by yourself. That's why the enemy tells you, when you wake up depressed and lonely and don't feel good, to, oh, you just need to pull the covers over your head. You don't need to go. That's a lie of the enemy. You better get up, put, run a comb through your hair, put on a hoodie, and get your fanny in the house of God. <laughs> I'm fired up, y'all. I'm I'm telling you that the enemy has deceived us by believing that we can handle this by ourselves. And you were never designed to walk this valley, walk this journey, walk this life by yourself. You need somebody. Don't try to do it by yourself. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you struggle with anxiety and depression. And you know how the enemy, the first thing he wants you to do is to get off somewhere by yourself. And that's the worst place you can be. Jesus said it this way, and he's, he's, he's emphasizing the unbelievable importance of us gathering as a body. And he said, where two or three gathered in my name, there I am among them. If you don't get anything else, I want you to get this next thing. <laughs> and I was flipping through my Bible to, to find a story. A story that helps me illustrate what I'm getting ready to to tell you. So write this down. The Christ inside you is bigger than the giant in front of you. I flipped over to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And it's a story of David and Goliath. (laughs) And, And I think that there's parts of this story that we forget about. Because, you know, if you, some of you grew up in the church, some of you didn't. If you grew up in the church, and, and you're my age, now I didn't go to church a lot as a small child. But I do remember going to a vacation Bible school at a Baptist church in my hometown at about eight or nine years old. And when they were telling the Bible story, David and Goliath, they did it on a flannel graph. Anybody remember flannel graph? Okay, there's, there's two of us that remember flannel graph. Anyway, it's like this felt... And the, the teacher would take these little characters that would stick to the felt as they're telling the story. And she told the story of David and Goliath. And, of course, Goliath looks like the size of a mountain. David is this little bitty boy in a you know, shepherd's tunic. And, and it's, it's, I remember those stories. We've heard that story a lot. But I'm going to tell you that you need to pay attention to the story of David and Goliath today. Because there's some things that you might just not have remembered from your flannel graph days. The Bible says that giant was nine feet tall. That's a big dude. I am six foot one. So he was me and a half another me. Nine feet tall. The Bible says that the head of his spear weighed 15 pounds. Some of you, if you go bowling, will use a ball that weighs 15 pounds. That's his spear. That's what he's throwing. He's a bad, bad dude. He is a big bad man. He was a giant. The Bible says that the Israelite army, um, verse 11 of 1 Samuel 17 says, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Wouldn't you be? Nine feet tall, 
15-pound head of a spear. The Bible says that his shield was so big, it took another person just to carry his shield. And the Israelites were shaken in their shoes. They were terrified of this big giant. The Bible says for 40 days. I'm, I'm going to read from the New, Li New Living Translation because I think this is a, just a beautiful picture. For 40 days, every morning and evening, evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. He was like, he was getting all like Hulk Hogan. You remember Hulk Hogan used to? <laughs> right? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's so scary. He strutted in front of the Israelite army, defying them. Now here's the part. If you don't read the Bible in order that you'll miss. David fights Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 15, David is anointed as king. And nobody around him believed it. You don't need anybody's approval. You don't need anybody but God to tell you that the Christ in you is bigger than the giant in front of you. Man, some of you have begun new, works, new walks with Christ and people around you ain't buying it. Not their business. So David's father says, take these cheese sandwiches to your brothers who are fighting while you're watching sheep. And off he goes. And David gets there and gets furious. Because not only is this giant defying his, his nation, this giant is defying his God and he simply can't take it. The Bible says, uh, David's brothers looked at him and said, you need to just go home and take care of your little pets. And let the men fight men's battles. <laughs> David squared his shoulders. He walks up to the king, walks up to Saul and says, don't you worry about this Philistine, I'll fight him. A little boy. And Saul looks at David and says, there's no way you can. And here's what he said. You are only a boy. And I'm going to tell you the enemy has given you your own. You are only. You, you're only an addict. You, you're only this so-called Christian that rides these roller you're only a, a you're only a person filled with anxiety and depression you're only a young child you're only an old man and I'm going to tell you I'm going to tell you that David squared his shoulders despite of what everyone around him said he could not do and I need you to get that today despite what everyone around him said he couldn't do, including the giant in front of him, said, what, what are you doing? Are you coming at me with a stick? Am I a dog? I'm going to tell you that you don't need the approval of man if God has placed his hand of blessing on your life. That whatever the giant is, the Jesus in you is bigger than that giant. Let's keep going. We're, we're moving quick.
David looked at this giant. And he said these words, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. Today, the, listen. Now, the Bible says that David was small and ruddy. So he's, let's say he's 5'8". I come to you in the name of the Lord. And today, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I'll give the dead bodies of your men. I'm not just going to kill you. I'm killing all your buddies too. I'll give them to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And then that's the ultimate point. Yeah. It's for God to do something so big in your life that people say, Hey, I knew Clinton when he was snorting meth. I don't even know if you snort meth. But whatever you do to that. When he was crushing pills. when he was, I knew Clint then. But, so that can't be Clint. I, I, knew, I knew her when she was racked with depression and anxiety. That can't be her. Something else had to do something in her. And that something else is the God of Israel. The God of... <sighs> Everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people. But not with a sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. And he'll give you to us. Can I dare you to declare that to you, the giant in front of you? This is not my battle. This is the Lord's battle. And I'll swallow you up. Man, I'm telling you, we've, we've allowed the enemy to defeat us. Maybe it's time we just square our shoulders a little bit and realize who Christ has created us to be. You're above only and never the tail. Listen, I, we, we've, we've convinced ourselves that we're no match for our enemy. And listen, by yourself, you're not. If David stood there with just a slingshot, we don't have a story to tell, but he stood there with the power and blessing of Almighty God. And here's what happened. I, I read this story for years before I caught these, this one little thought. David is, David is, is facing a nine feet tall giant. And I, I used to have this picture this, on the front of a Bible that my grandmother gave me, a children's story Bible. And it was, it was this picture of David slinging this, swinging this slingshot. But there's this huge giant in front of him, and David is leaning way back. And that's not what the Bible says happened. The Bible says that as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. He ran at that big mug. I don't know who you think you are. Somebody said Goliath was too big to kill. David's like, he's too big to miss. David ran at him. What the enemy wants you to do is to cower in front of your giant. And cower in front of your disease. Cower in front of your relationship. Cower in front of your job, your career, your diagnosis. To cower in front of that. And I'm going to tell you that with the God of heaven's armies living inside of you, you run at that thing. David popped him in the noggin with a stone. And if you ask most people what killed Goliath, what are they going to tell you? David in his slingshot, stony. That's not what the Bible says. I knocked him down, knocked him out. But then the Bible says in verse 51, Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath, took his own sword. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. Here's what I want you to get. That thing that the enemy thought he was going to kill you with. You take that sword out of his sheath. You cut his head off. 
Man, every time, every time you testify of, of your weakness and how God has strengthened you and changed your life, you're cutting the enemy's head off. Every time you speak a word of promise instead of a word of neg, every time you say, yes, I can, instead of no, I can't, then you're cutting the enemy's head off with his own sword. All right, five things, real quick. We're going to go really fast because we're going to do communion. But I want you to get these five, these five practical things you can leave here with. All right? Five practical things, really quick. Number one, watch your mouth. Now, I'm not, I don't mean that disrespectfully. I'm saying that you need to align your vocabulary with the truth of this book. Align your vocabulary with the truth of God's word. In other words, if, if, it, if it opposes God's truth... I'm, I'm trying not to say shut up, but you get the point here. Don't say it. What do my words declare about God's ability to keep his promise? Watch your mouth. Number two, cover your ears. Ever, ever listen to the wrong voices? I, I'm going to tell you to shut it out. I'm going to read you a quote from a book called Crash the Chatterbox. We're probably going to do this on Wednesday nights in the not too distant future. Book called Crash the Chatterbox by, by Stephen Furtick. And here's, here's the thing. Uh, anytime we look at, at, those, at those giants and say that giant is bigger than I am, then, then that's an insecurity in our life. And here's what he says about insecurities. In some ways, insecurity is the ultimate insult to God. Because when we allow insecurity to override God's purpose in our lives, we're implying that he didn't get the job done right when he put us together. We're implying that he didn't quite get the job done when he put us together. Listen, I'm going to tell you that you are equipped. I'm going to tell you that if you're a follower of Christ, that he's, he's created you to be more than you think you are. And what the enemy wants to do is he wants to convince you that you are, are somehow uh, insufficient and unable and weak and powerless. And I'm going to tell you, you need to stop listening to those lies. You got somebody in your life that's feeding that. I'm going to respectfully tell you to not listen to that nonsense. Now, again, I'm not talking about, I'm not one of these, one of these people that say, you know, it's, if I declare it in my voice, then it all of a sudden is going to show up in my driveway. I am telling you that my vocabulary needs to be in alignment with God's truth. And if it's not, then you need, to, you need to not say it. You need to not listen to it. All right, so that's the second thing. Number three is open your eyes. Watch your mouth, cover your ears, open your eyes. Recognize that God's blessings are there even in the midst of difficulty. And instead of focusing all of your attention on the calamity and the trouble and the something, fix your eyes on the person of Jesus. Put your eyes on the promises of God and then do this. Ask God for his eyes. That's a dangerous prayer, by the way. God, help me see this world through your eyes. Can I, can I tell you? That'll change the way you treat people. That'll change the way you treat yourself. That'll change the way you cuss at people in traffic. It, it really will. It'll change how you approach life if you'll ask God, let me see this world through your eyes. Number four, flex your muscles. Some of us can't help but do that. It's just natural. 
That, that hurt. Just that. You know, let me tell you what I mean by that. Be like David. Don't cower in fear to your enemy. Don't cower in fear to the something. Run at it. Run at it with the grace and mercy and power of an almighty God that dwells within you. And, and, and listen, we, we don't give God glory when we cower in fear in, in, in light of the something. Don't do that. So, watch your mouth, cover your ears, open your eyes, flex your muscles. And lastly, draw your sword. And, and I want you to look at that from two different perspectives. The, the only way you can... You can bring your vocabulary and what you listen to in alignment with God's word is if you know God's word. I'm going to tell you that part of, of your overcoming life is going to be to well acquaint yourself with what this book teaches about your life. And part of the problem is, is we don't know how to respond in the midst of this something because we haven't consulted this love letter. We haven't spent our time in this roadmap that will teach us how to overcome the something. So by drawing your sword, I'm telling you to pick up your, your Bible or your Bible app or whatever it is that you, however you, you connect with God's word. And then listen. Man, don't, don't just go through a reading plan. But God, man, I, I read the story of David and Goliath, and here's what I, Donna, come up and play. We're, we're getting ready to do communion. Ushers, will you go ahead and get ready? I, I just feel like I want to pray just, to, just with, with somebody today. I, I read the story of David and Goliath. Everybody in the room's heard it. But I, I look at it like this. When David ran toward his, his giant, Man, I, I got some giants in my life that I've been cowering in front of. And I'm challenged today to run toward them instead of cowering in fear. And so here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. You're in the room. I know you are. I want you to bow your heads. Hmm. You're, you're in the middle of a something. You're in the middle of a something, and you need the grace and help and mercy of God. You, you need God's help in the middle of your something. And I, I want to pray for you. So just, just so I know who I'm praying for, if you're in the middle of a something, God, just, just wave your hand at me so I know who I'm, talking, who I'm praying for. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. 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 I get it. I, I'm, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to pray for you. That, that God's power and God's presence will be so alive in your life. You'll recognize that you are a child of God. And you can have what he says you can have. And that your life can come into alignment with what, what God says in his promises. But, but there's one other group I want to pray for if, you, if you've ever looked at that giant and, and, or that something or whatever it is and you've said these words are something equivalent to them I, I can't I, I want you to just by faith I want you to wave at me I can't I can't I can't 
I'm going to pray that God not only provides his presence and power and strength in the middle of your something, but that God, every day, will remind you who you are. Remind you that you are a child of the King. Remind you that you're a child of God and that you're an heir and joint heir with Christ Jesus. In other words, if, if God has it, it's available for you. That God's strength is big enough. The, the strength that he will make perfect in your weakness is big enough for you to be able to look at that giant and say, on my own, I can't. But with Christ in me, the hope of glory, yes, I can. Father, in Jesus' name, God, thank you for these that are here. Thank you for this, this, this thought that we can live an overcoming life. Not because we're so good. Not because we're so talented. Not because we're so creative. Not because we're so powerful. Not because we're so strong. But because in the middle of our weakness, you prove yourself to be strength. So God, those of us that would declare, yes, we're in the middle of a something. We're in the middle of, of a difficult season. We're in the middle of... Of, of, of a time of calamity even, trouble, disease or, or, or death even. We're, we're, we're in the middle of it. God, I pray that supernaturally as only you can. God, you provide strength for the weary. You provide clarity for the confused. You provide healing for the sick. That's your provision for those that may need special provision this, in this season. But God, more than all of that, God, that might, that'll get us through this something. But I want you supernaturally, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to do a work in our souls so that when the enemy says we can't, we'll be able to square our shoulders, run at our enemy, and say, by God's help and grace and mercy and power, yes, I can. Not on my own, but with his strength and mercy. God, would you just do that for us all in Jesus' name. We need you, Lord. Yes, God. Thank you, Lord.